and welcome to another edition of Odyssey House Journals. I'm Trip Mitchell, joined by Randall Carlisle. You said that very well. You said well, that very well. I was just telling you before we went on air that Joni Taylor, this wonderful woman who's got a website called Coupons for Utah that saves people tons of money, I want her to come in and do a show because I'm a cheapskate. Okay. And she is amazing. And she goes, I'd love to see some of your recent work. So I sent her a show and she goes, I love Randall Carlisle. And what's her name again? Joni Taylor. Joni, I love you too. <laughs> she is off to New Zealand next week, but we'll have her come in when she gets back. And well, she, you know, she obviously got it wrong if she loves me, but that's okay. Well, I won't dispel the thought. She said, Terry Wood seems, was cuter, but you seem nicer. Well, I won't comment on either of those. <laughs> hey, we always, we're always going to talk about a, a little news story every, every time. Guess where one of the biggest, not one of the, the biggest sources of opioid pain pills, but stolen opioid pain pills comes from? I, I, is it the distribution companies? Not no, the, no, no. No, where people, it come, believe it or not, hospices, you know, where people are, you know, dying with dignity. And most of them have opioid pain pills as well they to should, kill the yeah. pain. And one third of all hospices report cases of stolen painkillers. And it's primarily from family members who go to visit their dying loved one and then they steal their opioid pain pills. That is it's incredible. That is a what level. What are you doing today? I'm going to three hospices to visit <laughs> some people who are dying, you know. My God, that well, it says a lot about a couple different things, human greed. But on the other hand, when people get addicted to opioids, they will stop at nothing. Exactly. And that's why we see so many people, so many instances of heroin, where people get weaned off the opioids. But in that short term, that time frame, they have gotten hooked. Sure. And I that think. is truly the evil of the people who made oxys because they knew, as it's coming out now, that it was highly addictive, yet their sales reps were out selling it to doctors. But they said it wasn't. Just like the tobacco industry said way back when. They had all this research that said people will... You, the reason they sent cigarettes to soldiers in World War II was to get them all hooked when they came back. So I watched a documentary this week on World War II. And it's wonderful. It's on Netflix called World War II in Color. And as it turns out, a number of academics stated that the Germans fed crystal meth to their soldiers. Right, to keep them going. Going into France, and, yeah. and yeah. which I'd never heard before. And, and we, gave, we gave speed to our, to our pilots who had to fly a bunch of missions. Uh, the U.S., it was a form of cocaine or speed or something, and our, our pilots got that to keep them alert while they, if they had to fly a bunch of bombing missions. My God. So. It, uh, what nations will do yes, to win a war. To win a war. So. so but, we, it, first of all, we love doing these stories. If you've got a story that you'd interest, be interested in uh, talking to us about, we'll have an email address for Odyssey House. Sure. And you can send that in to Randall's attention, and we'd love to talk about it. And right. it just shows that the addiction to oxys is so widespread. And I, we talk about it in the show all the time. In Utah, you wouldn't expect that to be the case, but we have a tremendous oxy problem here. Well. And I mean, just that that one news story. I mean, if everybody going to visit their relatives who are dying and stealing their pills, you know, you got... Well, I, I've, I've had a knee replacement and a shoulder replacement. And i got to admit, I've heard from a couple exes who were very concerned. Can I come over and see you, Tripp? Let me, I have to go to the bathroom and look through your medicine cabinet. 
I'm not as charming as I thought I was. <laughs> no, it wasn't well, you. It was your, your well, pain pills. Speaking of charming, okay, our guest this week is a guy who has been around these rooms for a long time, started a couple different meetings, but is the guy that's liked more than anyone in this program. When you say these rooms for people who are oh, watching, thank you we're, for we're talking about 12-step programs and you and I are recovering alcoholics and we go to meetings. And That's correct. And this is a guy who's loved at meetings. Unfortunately, he couldn't be here this week. Chick, can you come in? Yeah. <laughs> He's not the guy. Yay! Thank you. Have a seat, Chick. So Chick's not the one who's loved by no, meetings. Chick, if you substitute tolerated for loved, that... I think that... Uh, well, it's funny. When you told me that you had invited him to be on because you guys go to the same meeting, I see you, see, you said the name Chick, and I said, oh, I've been to meetings. It, it, it's really funny for people outside uh, the 12-step program community here in the Salt Lake area. It, it, we all know... So many of us know each other, and you can go to... And there are hundreds of meetings every week, but you can go... I can go anywhere to any meeting, and since I've been going to meetings for eight years now... I, I know somebody at each meeting, or recognize a face or something. So when you said Chick, I said, oh, I know who that is. Yeah, and by the way, just to describe what our show is, this is a show about addiction, but more importantly, it's a show about recovery. And recovery is so possible, and there are thousands of people in the state of Utah who are just, their goal is to help people. And it's really an amazing community. And, and Chick, you've been in the community for 30 years. And you've probably seen some amazing things where people have been he, helped. He told, did you hear? He, he saw me at my first meeting. Uh, and Do you mind if he talks about that? No, go ahead. Why don't you describe yeah. when you saw Randall this would at the have first been, meeting? This would have been seven or eight years ago. <laughs> go I ahead. was at the bowling alley. Okay. And the bowling Rand alley down on State Street yeah. that no longer exists. Yeah. Somebody bumped me and said, that's Randall Carlisle sitting over there. And... Yeah, he was shaken. You could see fear in my he, eyes. You can't see the look on him now that he had then. And uh, then uh, he listened to every word. And then after the meeting, we talked for a second. And then uh, people made suggestions on other places to go. And we saw Randall uh, moving around. And little by slowly... You could see the real guy starting. It it's takes pretty, a while. Yeah, yeah. It's, no, you're right. Coming a long way. Yeah, it's, it's you can you can see it. I I maintain you can see in people's. I've run into people who knew me back when and know me now, and they say, "God, you look so much better than you did then." You know, but I didn't think I was looking bad then. But well, I was. alcohol does give you a little confidence that is not deserved, yeah. by the way. <laughs> But, you know, you are literally taking a poison each and every day if you're mm -hmm. taking drugs or alcohol. Yeah. And that cannot be good for your skin color, for your no. conditioning, no. for no. about anything. Yeah. And when you see someone like that, it's got to feel really good, Chick, to, to see the progress. Mm. And because you've seen it now with thousands and thousands of people with all the meetings you've been to, where a 12-step program, a rehab, or whatever happens can be a game changer and a life changer. That's got to be fun to see. Oh, it, it is. You know, <clears throat> while you guys were talking about the uh, opioid addiction, mm -hmm. I remember driving down 21st South about 5 o'clock, and uh, there's an AA meeting over there at Fellowship Hall, and I, I just decided to pull in, 
And uh, it wasn't really uh, like a fantastic meeting or anything, but there was a fellow in there who had, I remember a few years ago, he had celebrated 15 years in the program. And he, uh, towards the end of the meeting, he, he's talked about how he's living with his son in an apartment and he used to all the time check medicine cabinets wherever he did sure. construction work. And that very day, he had just opened up a medicine cabinet. He's been sober for years. And there was a bottle of something. I can't remember what it was, but it made my mouth water. It made my mouth water now. <laughs> and uh, he was worried about that, and it's home. He said he has it in his apartment. So after the meeting, I walked up to him after and said, do you want me to go home with you while you throw those away? And he said, yes. <laughs> and then, you know, I immediately regretted what I'd done. What if he lives in Ogden? Or <laughs> yeah, right. No good deed goes unpunished. <laughs> so it was just, wasn't far away. And we walked up the stairs and into the apartment and he walks right over to his to the bathroom, grabs the bottle of pills, and I wanted to look at it, you know, and say something, maybe give it a funeral. But <laughs> he opened it up, dumped it right out, right in there, flushed the toilet, looked up at me, and he had this smile on his face like he was an angel, you know, just... And he says, thanks, chick. And we walk out. The whole thing took like 20 seconds. Yeah. You've <laughs> done an amazing good deed. Yeah, and I, I, well, that this is the story isn't about that. The story's about I'm driving home, and then I start thinking how neat I am, you know, and and whoa, I I can use this in recovery. I can tell people what I did. Uh, later, I found out it's <clears throat> called a humble brag, <laughs> and uh, but it. I got all uh, puffed up and and I'm driving up the canyon to my house and I'm thinking, you know, this this is what my real problem is. It isn't, it's what I was doing was right, but the way I'm doing it now is wrong. And uh, I called my sponsor. He says, don't tell anybody. Except when you're on a TV show yeah, <laughs> or a podcast with 12,000 listeners. Yeah. And I've had a lot of stories like that where they say, don't tell anybody for three or four months. And, and uh, recovery is about becoming right-sized, in my opinion. When, when I say my opinion, that means get another opinion as soon as you can. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Explain right-sized. Right-sized is, wait for it. Okay. Dead air. <laughs> the, there was a woman who newly widowed, standing by the coffin of her deceased husband at the funeral. And one of our friends comes up and says, oh, I'm so sorry for your loss. What happened? He was so young. And the widow says, Ah, that crazy fool drank himself to death. And the uh, other woman says, Oh, 
It's too bad he didn't find AA. And the widow says, oh, he wasn't that bad. (laughs) (laughs) That's the uh, right-sized is not denial anymore. You know, we, we begin to know who we are a little, I think. And that realization is what allows you to yeah. maintain sobriety? And these one-on-one conversations that we have with each other or two, we, we become friends. And in, in AA, we'll study spiritual principles. And we go to the AA meetings and we hear principles and we hear personalities. When somebody uh, tells what they did about a problem, like if you came to me with a problem, I would probably say, I can't help you with that, but this is what I did when it happened to me. And then we'll probably laugh because it was pretty stupid yeah. response. Yeah. And, but we hear the, what used to be common sense is uncommon sense now, and what used to be uncommon sense or the impossible is possible. At a point in my life, the very pivotal point, it was impossible to think of living a sober life and working with other alcoholics genuinely, you know, just because, not, not for having ulterior motives. So I was in a DUI class, and there was a man there by the name of Art, and he had a scar on his face, and they introduced him as a man who'd been sober for four years and he was gonna talk to us from AA and he had a blue book on his lap and that was the genuine, the big book. book. It had coffee stains on it. As well it should. So that made it authentic. Yep. So he tells his story of what his life used to be like and I could have sworn that uh, he had gotten notes from somebody about me. You know, it was so uh, familiar. And then he talked about what is, what happened, and that's the, uh, like the impossible thing, the pivot point, and then what his life is like now. So I wanted what his life was like now for me, finally. I went home that night, it was a Sunday night, and uh, was all excited. The next day, uh, I had a few drinks after work just to see, you know, they said, have some control drinking. (laughs) I don't remember (laughs) that. (laughs) And I was so drunk, still on Tuesday morning, I called up Alcoholics Anonymous on the phone, and this was in uh, February, almost almost to the day, 35 years ago, 1985. And uh, I didn't want them to know who I was, so I said, this is that phone call, what do I do now? And the lady on the phone, you could almost see the smoke in the office. She says, wow, 
it's about time for you to start coming to the meetings and see <coughs> how the rest of us stay sober. <laughs> and so, but it's time for you to start coming to the meetings and see how the rest of us stay sober. Stay sober. I've, I've never heard stay sober or uh, sobriety. So I went to the noon meeting at the old fellowship hall down behind Dirk's Field. And things start... Nice ballpark now. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> yes, that's all right. The bees... What was really weird was people started to say things to me that made more sense than I had ever heard before. <laughs> and uh, one fellow, after a couple of days, he said, Chick, you don't look very good. Uh, I have a friend that's a doctor. We can call him up. You tell him what you've been taking and using and not doing, and, and he'll tell you what you need to know. Well... I was apprehensive. The guy says, oh, don't worry about it. He, he won't ask your name. So we made the phone call. He told me what to worry about because I had given up cocaine, marijuana, Percodans, and Valiums <laughs> all on the same day. Thank God you don't have two hands. Oh, you do? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that, that's it. Marijuana, Percodans. Anyway, uh, then uh, after a few days, another fellow says, uh, how long have you been sober now? It's about six, seven days. And he said, oh, you got some time to protect. <laughs> and, and, and we're talking about this impossible. <laughs> then comes the big one. Ten days or so on a Saturday, I went down to the Alano Club and sat in the corner. And I was really didn't want to talk to anybody. And I didn't want to be alone. And I was just physically. And... It seemed like the room got dark. And I looked up by the door and this fellow comes walking in and he doesn't have any sleeves on his leather parka, you know. And he looks around the room and then he looks straight at me. And he comes walking over and he grabs a chair, turns it around, sits down and he says, Are you an alcoholic? <laughs> and I said, well, I waffled. <laughs> and he says, Well, if you want to know if you're an alcoholic... Just ask your neighbors. <laughs> <laughs> People's never, you know, the, the truth. It's funny how it went. But that was the first time I actually saw myself from my neighbor's point of view. You know, drunk on the front lawn, the, you know, the shouting and the screaming. Yeah. And, and oh, man. I'm not an alcoholic. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's like, it's too bad I didn't get to AA, you know. Yeah, oh, he wasn't yeah. that bad. Yeah. This denial thing. And uh, this same fellow followed me through. Uh, I, I started going to meetings where he went. And they would say things. When I introduced myself to my partners as an alcoholic, I'd been sober three days. And uh, we were having a board meeting, and they were already in the room when I got there, and it was about five minutes early, and I walked in, and I said, uh, I uh, got some news for you guys. I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> and they said in unison, 
<laughs> 19 minutes in, Lee, clean that up. <laughs> yeah. Can you say that on the air? No, this is on television as well. Oh. But don't worry, we'll clean it up. We've got... What, what, with, what word could I use? I could maybe change it. We knew. <laughs> yeah. We knew exactly no. what you we were going to say. I, I think that has happened that to, to everyone out. in recovery where they make this... They think they've been uh, living the greatest private life. Yeah. Yeah. And everyone knows. Your dog cash. Everyone knows. I, I know. When I, when I finally had the guts to say... After I'd been clean for a while, I said that I'm an alcoholic in recovery, and, and I said, you know, I didn't want people to know, and they, and they all just laughed. I mean, because it was like, you know, we knew. Everybody yeah. knew. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back. You're watching Odyssey House Journals. Our guest today, Chick, one of the fun people in this program, and we're going to have some good stories coming up next. Welcome back to Odyssey House Journals. I'm lucky enough to work with this guy every week. Randall Carlisle, I'm Trip Mitchell, and Chick Buner is our guest. And uh, you were talking about early in on and you're going to AA and learning about truth, learning about the fact that everyone figured out what you were doing. You've been influential. You've started a bunch of meetings that have had a long and pretty great career, including the one that I started to go to when when uh, I decided I needed to be back in the AA, which is a new but meeting. You were an alcoholic? Oh, my gosh. You didn't realize that? No. When, then geez. when we started the show, it's the nose. You could tell by the nose. <laughs> <laughs> so the Alano Club meeting, you started that how many years ago? That happened on April first of nineteen eighty-five. About three wow. months. A meeting that's thirty-five years old. That was, you know, that was amazing. I didn't really start the meeting, but. Uh, I had just been sober for a short time. And you figured, why not leave and, the group? And I had a sponsor, and we were, we were down at the Alano Club having lunch, and I just asked him, this is the Twilight Zone thing, doo -doo -doo. Yeah. why don't they have a noon meeting here? And he says, good idea, let's start one. And... Uh, to, to go back, the my uh, partners at work were willing to give me a whole year where I could have a couple of hours during the day to go to lunch and go to meetings. And that was one of the first times I ever knew that I'm not the only one that wanted to get sober. Everybody <laughs> wants alcoholics to get sure, sober. Sure. And so they were willing to do that. So uh, my sponsor says, let's start a meeting and will you commit to come at least every other day and take charge of, and, and chair the meeting? And I said, yes, I'll do that. So he got it set up at the central office and got it on the schedule. He got a box and we had a mirror in there. I can see that mirror now. For cocaine? <laughs> yeah. Actually, it could have been, could but have it was cleaned it. up when right. I got there it. Go. All right. The mirror was sober. <laughs> and uh, there was a big book and the instructions on how to lead the meeting. And my job was to, when it was my day, if nobody showed up, I was to read the book to... The mirror? The, the mirror. Well, the interesting thing is my sponsor... Pat Harris, he moved to St. George. He has was sober a couple of years, and he was always whining about, where's the serenity? 
you know, when he celebrated his birthday, people would say, congratulations. He says, yeah, I've been sober a couple of years, but where's the serenity? So I asked him uh, one day, what are we going to call the meeting? And he says, well, I'm always looking for serenity. Let's call it the serenity seekers. 35 years. And there are days, Randall, at this meeting that you'll see 75 to 100 people. Really? And Chick wow. has called it a triage meeting because for a lot of people, it's the first meeting that they go to when they're brand new to the program. And the great thing about 12-step meetings is that people are there to help. Sure. You never judge. Always open. You can come like up you with you were when I first came. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you can come up with a story that is so insane, and you figure that you're the only person who could possibly have lived through that. <laughs> and there'll be twelve other people in the meeting who not only know that story but done it twice yeah. as yeah. as horrible for themselves. So, twelve step is is an amazing program. But in addition, there are tons of rehab facilities around the valley. So we're going to give out the number for Odyssey House. And the reason we're giving this number out is if you're at home, if you've got a family member, a spouse, friend, or yourself, and you're feeling like, gosh, things are really rough, I couldn't say enough that there are thousands of people who are there to make your life better. And most of them at no charge. You know, 12-step programs, there's not a dime. You can walk in, have a cup of coffee. They'll even give you a big book at a lot of meetings if you can't afford it. It's really a program that um, is there for you. And a great number to call is Odyssey House, and the number is 801 3222-3222. And you know, you were talking about free of charge. Uh, you know, the way uh, Medicaid expansion is set up and county grant funding and everything, nonprofit treatment centers now can take virtually anybody regardless of ability to pay. That is so, fantastic. Yeah. We also need to mention, I just thought I mean, we need to mention because we're not going to necessarily publicize this fact except during this show that you can watch this on YouTube and you can listen to it and Comcast Channel 17 and you can also listen to it on iTunes and Spotify. Just go to, just search Odyssey House Journals. So Perfect. There I've said it. Okay. Thank you very much. <laughs> and Chick, you, uh, I, this, this half hour has flown by. But Chick, you're a guy, I've never seen you not talk to someone in need at a meeting. I've been to hundreds of meetings with you, and you are one of the really good guys in this program. Thanks. And the amount of people that you're meeting has helped in total, and you individually is just astounding. Including me. I mean, he's an AA superhero, uh, if, there are, if there is such a thing. So. And we told him to cover up his tights for today's show. <laughs> right. He's going to fly away out of here. Right. You got it. This is all they had in wardrobe, by the <laughs> okay. way. Yeah. And we do have a full wardrobe, but it's pretty much capes and everything else. Chick, thanks so much for coming on. You have always, I have loved every second I've spent with you in this program, and He's invited me to a special coffee. He always says, is Randall going to come? And you tell me 7.30 on Sunday morning is not. Uh, yeah, well, I, yeah. We could push it to quarter to eight for you. Yeah, yeah, well, <laughs> I, I might see you around. Okay. I <laughs> hey, want to thank everyone involved. Bill Francis with Comcast 17, all the folks at Odyssey House. Lee, who cuts it and makes it happen. We are so happy. Who has to edit the word yeah. out yes the bad <laughs> word at 19 minutes <laughs> but he'll find it yeah and great story about lee we met at the noon meeting at alano club and he would come in and we have a couple foul-mouthed comedians who do a show beautiful comedians <laughs> and i found out that lee was kind of a churchgoer and and i said to lee one time is this really offensive and he goes no 
when I was in my teens, I was in Vietnam. That was offensive. Yeah, well, <laughs> Anything else pales yeah, in comparison. Yeah. Thanks for watching. We'll see you right next time right here on Aussie House Journals. Bye-bye.